much to the delight of dictators everywhere after our last podcast. So, uh, it's been a it's been a challenging time for the family. Actually, I, you know, we were taken to Congress to testify about it. And, uh, we got censored by the UN. Uh, it was thing thing kind of crazy. But, I would yeah. like to point out. I am not the only family member who holds to my opinion. That clones don't have rights. Our uh, our uh, family actually appears to be barely divided on the fact, as it turns out. Challenging times, so, you know, consider us in your uh, in your thoughts and prayers and what have you. Um, but up until then, uh, we're, we're back, the brothers, and in a special edition of this podcast, as uh, Luke's discovered his father, our father is here. So it's his, it's his responsibility to, to guide us from a young age to the Star Wars universe. So see what I can do. To uh, so we're, we're jumping out of order. This is a special occasion since we it would be very unfair to subject him to episode three since that would have been next on the docket. We're going straight into the good one. Uh, the four. Uh, goodish one. Goodish. Wow. We're all... Well, why don't you say good-ish? I mean, it's not my favorite of the Star Wars films. It's not bad, but it's definitely not my favorite. Well, I, I made the comment before we started that um, everything, even though it's episode four now, it was really the first Star Wars movie, and the whole success of the Star Wars franchise really hung on that first movie. And I said that if episode one, the true episode one now had been the first Star Wars movie, I don't think you would have ever heard any more about Star Wars. But Which I disagree I was, with, but... Well, I was a teenager at the time Star Wars came out, the original movie, and um, I know it, it certainly changed everyone's view about science fiction movies. Yeah, I, just, I just finished reading not long ago the, uh, the, the... It's just called The Making of Star Wars, but the, the very large... Very good book about you know all the, the parts and steps and story that went into it. Um, so it's it's intriguing to see it again, and it's it's continued on from celluloid to all the way to Disney Plus, like we watch it on now. So I'm yeah. assuming we're gonna try to go in chronological order of events with this movie. Watching sure. it again, uh, it's over 40 years old, still holds up pretty well. It's pretty amazing. It is. It is remarkable. You know, I tried to think about any movies that I could remember before Star Wars. That, that kind of genre and the only one that I can think of that even began to come close to the groundbreaking technological and theatrical way it was done was uh, 2001 Space Odyssey and that was a strange movie to me but some of the scenes and stuff that were done in that movie were very well done but where I think Star Wars stood out over that is that Star Wars showed a futuristic world that was still looked real. A world with dirt and dust and things that all the sci-fi movies before it always showed everything perfectly clean and fake. And so I think that's one thing. And the other thing is that I think Star Wars, he was able to blend high-tech science fiction with, you know, like... Uh, Ancient mysticism. Yeah. You know, that romantic, is... um, medieval kind of... Um, well, that is what I feel is really the key to the whole saga of Star Wars, and that is why Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie, because I feel that movie does a better job even than this movie of combining those two aspects into one movie. You say it's the most Star Warsy movie, most Star Wars movie of the Star Wars movies? I would say it's the most Star Wars content of all the Star Wars content. Movies, TV shows, video games, etc. A baffling opinion, one of many. Um, no, I had a train of thought, lost it. Uh, but yeah, no, you're, yeah, that's, it's kind of actually funny now watching it too, because ironically the, uh, the, the high tech actually has, I guess, proved out to be sort of surprisingly low tech, but high tech at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys have to remember, sitting in a movie theater in 1977, no one even that I knew of even heard of or thought of a home computer, let alone all the graphics and things we do today. So yeah. that was it's just amusing to consider what they what they assumed would happen or wouldn't happen, or or well, you have to also assume that these people are just they lived in a different world, and so, so they're, they're one of maybe the their technology just evolved differently I've than ours. Noticed in I believe it's episode. 
8, the, uh, I think it actually is Last Jedi, where, um, for the first time in all of Star Wars, we actually see paper, because in none of the other Star Wars movies mm. do we ever the see Jedi anything text. made of paper. Like, anytime you see someone with mm, documents, they're always on a mm, holographic computer. Anytime you see, like, advertisements, they're all mm, mm, holographic billboards, mm, the only paper we ever see are the ancient Jedi texts in The Last Jedi. Mm. It's true. They, they assumed that we would, we, would have, we would have had the paperless office. They also mm. assumed that we could massively scale up uh, architecture and engineering. Uh, did not assume that the internet would be invented. Yeah, I did. think it's kind of funny that when you really you think about it today, the whole idea that those plans had to you know could be hidden in R2-D2 um, and couldn't just be transmitted to so many places the Empire couldn't possibly stomp it out. But at that time, no one would have thought the way we think today. The idea that they could take them back. <laughs> they could just make a copy and keep it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the idea that they all could fit on the droid, except when they also need to be in a massive data bank in Rogue One. They're, they're on not in a massive data bank. It's, yeah, they are. They're in one tiny tape in a massive data bank, though. Well, what's in the rest of the data bank? Files for other projects. What projects? I think they, they, they have all kinds of other projects, like with more data than the Death Star. No, probably with the same or less data than the Death Star. They're making multiple Death Stars. No, they're making other projects. Like they had projects. plans for mm, other things, like a super mm, engine that went faster than mm, like that went like a hundred times the speed of light or something, and. They had all kinds of other projects on that station. That was what all the other data tapes were. I'll take your word for it. Take your word for it. Trust me, I've done research. Uh, yeah, obviously. It's on the internet. It's got to be true. But if Wookiees have a 400-year lifespan, then Han Solo is basically Chewbacca's third dog. <laughs> all right. So, so, what was it, your impression, you know, watching it again, the opening scene with... Princess Leia being chased down. Uh, what things struck you about that? Well, I mean, for me, I just... Because I just rewatched Rogue One recently, and so for me, I was looking at all the parallels between the way that film ends and the way this film begins, because the ending of Rogue One is, like, in, in the timeline, ends, like, five minutes or so before this movie starts. Hmm. Do you, do you feel like it's it's a uh, segued well? Like the the feel like oh, there are any gaps? Absolutely, it segues well because I actually I was thinking about like some of the things specifically like where the imperial officers are all talking. And the one go the ones talking about the stolen data tapes. Well, in Rogue One, you see how those data tapes got stolen, and like um when they say. No transmissions were, and like when Vader's interrogating Captain Antilles, and, and the guy goes, "No transmissions were beamed to this ship." Well, he's actually not lying about that because the uh, the guys on the other ship had a disc, and they gave it to the guys on that ship, and that's the disc that then got put in R two D two. That's a good question. Is that uh, when they jettison the escape pod and the Imperials are standing there, like, "Oh, well, no, nah, there's nothing on there." We need to conserve our lasers or something. Don't shoot yeah. that thing. Well, there aren't any... Well, normally, when an escape pod jettisons, they check to make sure if there are people on Why? Board. And if there are no people, then they're like, oh, there's just, probably nothing on it. It doesn't matter. Just shoot it anyway. There's no yeah. need to shoot it if there's nothing there. It seems pretty it ta- obvious. It takes longer to check than to just pull the trigger. Just pull the trigger. But there's no need to pull the trigger if there's no reason to pull the trigger. There's too many steps. Well, he had to figure out a way to get them down to the planet and survive. Uh. I guess I, what I remember, you know, watching that movie the first time, um, certainly the thing with the rolling script, I don't think I'd ever seen anything quite like that before, and that made an impression on us as just watching it for the first time. Um, but then when the Star Destroyer appears on the top of the screen, it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Um, one thing that I remember reading that George Lucas did is he made the ships have so many little intricate things 
some of which I understand were tank treads from tank models and stuff, but he just made them so complex so that they gave them the, the feeling of grand size, which definitely you know, most of us had never seen anything quite like that before. Man, it was good making the, the, the illusion of size for different things. Mm-hmm. And all models, they do they do look and feel real, because by and large they are. Um, which makes, I guess, a little more jarring when you do see that one CGI scene they've put in now where the, they're like, all the all the rebel ships are flying past the planet, and it's it's clearly not a model. It's a little disorienting, but yeah, I, but I, I think it was pretty amazing what they were able to do without CGI in making that movie. And I think um, we talked before about some of the things that I mean, very quickly, you know, you you realize you were up against this, you know, futuristic empire of evil. Um, and uh, Darth Vader was a, a figure of unbelievable evil and strength, you know, when he just physically chokes and tosses that guy aside. But um, at the same time, you also have to remember, yes, you are cheering for the rebels. Yes, the rebels are technically the good guys. But from a military standpoint, the rebels are terrorists that just carried out an attack that murdered 300,000 people. I guess it depends on the view of the citizens or they, if they're feeling oppressed or not mm. by their, their imperial... Well, it just as, dissolved uh, the Senate on them. Well, uh, as as they said, the destruction of Alderaan, the Clone Wars, and, and the Mandalorian Wars all happened because some glow stick wielding yahoos believed in a bunch of magical nonsense. Awesome. Well, it's freedom. I think you know, and they want to be oppressed. So, what do we suppose life is like in the farm on Tatooine? <laughs> I still want to know what they were farming. Water. Moisture. Yeah, moisture. So why couldn't they just had tankers bring enormous things of? Because they moisture, didn't have tankers. Water. That was the whole point. Yeah, but they live in this world. The it's, whole planet's it's a, a desert. Well, there's also a spaceport on the planet. So why couldn't the, the freighters have brought huge amounts of water that would be be worth a ton? Because water's money. a precious commodity, and they can't get water. Oh, okay. Also, there that particular planet is in. They call it the outer rim. So it's not the easiest to get to it's really remote and you can't get a tanker all the way out there then why do they have a spaceport so you know it's all, because all these... the spaceport's not meant for gigantic water tankers it's meant for little tiny spaceships like the millennium falcon why you know to so they can pick up smugglers and people yeah like, exactly it's meant criminals. for smugglers and gangsters yeah, just don't ask around. why a lot of these things you just don't don't ask too many questions just go along with it any kind of fictional thing you gotta have a little fun with it and just go along with it I guess that makes sense though. They are on the outer rim, but probably be prohibitively expensive because the people at Tatooine presumably are really poor. If we right. know, I mean, they're poor building Formula One cars in their backyard. But um, you know, we've yeah. had that discussion. They're very poor, obviously, so they're they can't afford to have water brought to them. They gotta eke it out themselves. That's that's true. Yeah, and the thing that I think we know is watching at least for if we were debating about it, is does why does Owen not recognize? At least C-3PO. I told I mean, R2, you, maybe. I yeah. told you he doesn't recognize R2 because he, he didn't really see R2 for that long. He saw him for, at most, 30 seconds. But 3PO, I uh, I mean, there are lots of protocol droids in the galaxy, and so he probably didn't realize that it happened to be exactly the same one. Are they all as annoying as him, though? It'd be hard to forget. Well, maybe he well, tried to forget him because of how annoying he was. That's, that's why oh. I say, like, when they when they, they kind of accidentally steal him in the Clone Wars, is like, you know, they probably were walking around for a few days, and I'm like, wait a minute, it's quiet around here. Good riddance. I don't think that George Lucas had all the prequel thing tied down at all, because we were talking about even the conversation that Obi-Wan Ben has with Luke and tells him about his father and stuff, that it didn't quite gel out though that way when he finally did those episodes and so your father's lightsaber he wanted you to have it when you were old enough and then you see Anakin on Mustafar saying I hate you give my son his my lightsaber when he's old enough yeah yeah it's just it, you know it he, he could say whatever he wanted to at that point but then you have to try to figure out how to make that all work it's, um, it's all true from a certain point yeah, of view I guess it's just Maybe he was imagining what, Obi -Wan, what, now what that's a better a, Anakin would have wanted. Yeah. Obi-Wan, now that's a name I've not heard since I chopped off both your father's legs and one of his arms and threw him into a volcano. 
Or that's a good question. What's what's Obi Wan been doing all this time now? Just just hanging Spying out. Spying on Luke. Apparently, just being the creepy old man in the desert. Yeah. Well, that that is why Owen says that moment. wizard's just a crazy old man. Running around scaring scene. Well, didn't, didn't in the end of episode three they kind of set that up? That yes. He had to. His next thing he had to do was just wait. Yeah. So he was just waiting. But was he assuming he was waiting for Luke to grow up, or was he just gonna be like, "Well, I guess that's it. I'm just." Well, maybe at the beginning he was he was waiting for something, but maybe by after twenty years you you start losing faith, and he wasn't sure what was going to happen. And then Yoda sitting around having forced phone calls. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. let's. Well, actually, I uh, I read something about what he was doing for twenty years in the desert. He uh, he was learning how to talk to force ghosts, and so he was hanging out with the force ghosts of Qui Gon Jinn for twenty years. Okay. Because Yoda taught him how mm. to commune with force ghosts, and so he was hanging out with the ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn for 20 you think, years. You think they run out of things to talk about, though? No, because I'm sure there were a lot of things that, you know, he had questions about that he's like, what could I have done differently? What could you have still taught me that you weren't around to teach me? Well, there's a lot they could have done differently, that's for sure. They could have spent 20 years just ruminating on the failures of the last 20 years. Well, uh, yeah. they, they may have. But, uh, so so when Luke um, goes to find R2-D2, and all of a sudden, sand people attack, and then you hear a dragon call. And, it's way louder than I remember it being. And then you see this hooded brown figure come over the horizon. I saw something... That it was, imagine the Tusken Raiders. Let's hurry up. These humans scare me. It reminds me of the legend of Anakin. Dude, Anakin's a myth. Do you really think a human can murder an entire village? Wait, something's coming. And then all of a sudden you see this brown road figure and they're like, oh my word, it's Anakin. He does exist. Hmm. Well, I don't know if they're... They probably are afraid of Jedi. That, that probably... I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that probably does sort of stick around in their collective memory. Like, yeah, yeah, because watch he out just for those guys. completely destroyed an entire village. Sure, all Obi wanted to do was just like force lift a rock or something. Like, nope, not not missing this dude. Yeah. Well, I also kind of wonder how in this this miserable barren place, there's all these sand people running around. There's these Jawa that have this enormous tank thing to transport all this electronic gear that they've captured in this miserable, forsaken desert, no place. But once again, it's just a question you're not supposed to ask. Sand people don't really seem to have a whole lot of technology, though. I mean, they, well, they, they live have fire. Off. That's that's about all they have. They, uh, they live off of raiding things and killing people. What people are there to kill in a sand... Farmers group? like Owen. Yeah, they, that's well, that's they what they live off of, is murdering people like that. That's well, why they have no water. They keep stealing it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, or, the, or the sand people like are guarding all the, all the springs, so they have to, like... Take the water out well, of the air. Yeah. I think another thing that the Star Wars movies did in different places, and one of the real obvious ones was the Jawa with them capturing you know these robots and junk and being junk dealers and selling them, um, was take this you know more futuristic robotic technology and everything, but then make it in a thing that people today and people forty years ago could relate to with them you know. Wheeling and dealing like you know junk dealers and, and, and I mean oh and saying what are you trying to stick us with here you know and, I mean you even you see kind of the same thing in the Mandalorian because while the Mandalorian's out looking for Baby Yoda the Jawas come and start tearing apart his ship for mm, parts to sell mm-hmm. and he has to barter with them in order to get the parts back to repair his ship mm-hmm. Jawas well, well it's, uh, it's it's like they say. Mm, Jawas take everything seriously. No, seriously, Jawas take everything. <laughs> well, I don't remember which of the later movies was in, but the one, one of the ones where the Millennium Falcon is jump up into warp speed and Han Solo bangs on the console. And, I mean, that's just so classic today of you know cars messing up and you hit something and it starts doing what it's supposed to do again. Um, it just they did things well, like that as, that as were they cute. Say in them- Maybe as, not realistic, but cute. Well, so as that you as can they say to in it. one of the other movies, Auto Shop One on One, excessive force. Hmm. All right, speaking, so where are we so now? And now we meet up Han Solo and his his dilapidated ship. 
I guess he's just hanging around for waiting for 17,000 credits to drop in so he can well, pay off his debts. I, uh, I still like the thing, though, that I saw where uh, they're like, imagine Luke and Obi-Wan enter the Mos Eisley Cantina. But it's a slow day at the Mos Eisley Cantina, and the only pilot there with a ship for hire is Hondo Onaka. And he goes, Kenobi! And Obi-Wan just says, I hate my life. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question, though. Why is Han hanging around the same planet as the one guy who's got a bounty on his head? Because he's there looking for other work. There, there isn't work on all the other planets, maybe? I'm, I'm sure there is work on other planets, but... That is the most common place for people in his line of work to get jobs. Yeah, forsaken planet out in the middle, the edge of the galaxy. Yeah. That really makes a lot of sense. But don't you know? Because I mean, as Obi Wan said, it's a wretched hive of scum yeah. and villainy. We, so it's the perfect place for a smuggler but to go. Why? But we we never asked any of those questions in 1977. It just it just all seemed cool, and you just didn't didn't care. Um, but the public needs to know. We still also have to figure out why Jabba is so rich or powerful. I told you, there's been a hut cartel I told you, it's because there's been a hut cartel for 1,200 years before the movies even start? happened. It doesn't matter how it started. <gasps> uh, it all comes from eating frogs. Apparently. Well, I mean, Baby Yoda eats frogs, so is he gonna start his own Baby Yoda cartel? Uh, Probably could. I mean, he's got, like, force and whatever. It'd be a pretty, pretty sizable uh, competition to the huts. Well, the huts have. Enforcers. Well, and bounty hunters all over the galaxy. Well, when you watch that movie then, um, first off, like we watched the uh, the Disney five version with that has the CGI um Jabba Hut in there. Um and of course back then the original one didn't have that scene at all. Well and didn't have Jabba the Hut. The, the thing and is though, they, like they fairy- film they actually when they made the original movie, they did film that scene. But they used a human being in place of Jabba. Mm-hmm. Well, they decided not to use it. And so, when you watch the movie, I mean, there's passing mention to him of him. And you get the the real thing I think they were trying to get across is, you know, Han's acting so brash. But then you find out that he, he's flubbed up some of his things. And so, they, are, they aren't in with the most uh, effective smuggler in the world. But you just didn't... At that time, you didn't think anything of well, who's Java or whatever. I mean, that was kind of not important. Well, that's one thing you pointed out before is that there's the the slow progression of things. Like, I hadn't thought of that with Java. That's true because it's also true of the Emperor. But like, well, a lot of characters that are mentioned but never really seen. Like, until, so in the whole well, I think the whole original first movie that we just watched, they talk about the Emperor. You never see the Emperor, no, and I think and then that in was... Episode Five, you see a hologram of the Emperor, no. but you never actually see the Emperor. It's well, not till episode six that you finally actually see the emperor. Well, I think that was it was part of his plan that to, to, to play up the power of the emperor was to hold back and not you know if they just showed him all the time. It's like the old Godzilla movies, you know, the old first one. I mean, Godzilla. The, the whole movie is an hour and a half long, and Godzilla is on screen for like eight eight minutes. Yeah, because you hold back your thing, you don't overdo it, and so that was I think that was the whole idea was to build this mystique about the emperor and. You know, little by little. That part was pretty effective, I think. So. So, so we they, attempted to go in any kind of chronological well, order. Yeah, now we were, we were in Moss Eyes, so they, they leave, they go, they go flying off. Luke sells a speeder in about 15 minutes, so that would be... Well, I mean, when they first get into town, you see a Jawa who already clearly wants to buy it, so... Buy? No. <laughs> Well, That's probably the, the best line in the movie. Is like, I think those those droids were stolen. What makes you think that? I don't know. Maybe we bought them from Jawas. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, I think it was kind of clear that he was selling it way below market value. That well, but he also even says he was selling it below market value because he goes, since that other new model came out, these just aren't in demand anymore. Yeah. That's something like just going out of the parking lot of Walmart. Be like, you want to buy my car? Anybody <laughs> want to buy my car? I have a car for sale. They might want to buy a car. I mean, that that kind well, of is what happened. Well, would someone like if you're in the airport parking lot, would you just buy a car from just some random person? Just well, I mean, you if could you were looking for a used, car, you you might. could drive to a used car lot and say, you know, you were, I'll you were looking for a yeah. cheap, fast car. You might. The used car lot figures they can make money off of it if you'll sell it cheap enough. Uh, is it the? I guess that's what Mos that was Eisley supposed to be. Car lot. It's true. Yeah. Mm. So they take off from Moss Eisley, and then. 
And then there's a critical thing that we're gonna, I'm going to hold against you when we watch episode 9. What? Flying through hyperspace. Ain't like dusting crops. Yes. You know, punch it into what? the Navi computer. Yeah, because as I've said a bazillion times, there are hyperspace lanes. And if you miss the hyperspace lane, like he said, you could crash into a star, yeah. blow up in a supernova, and... All your parts would come uh, flying out of hyperspace. So why in episode 9 can we now do hyperspace skipping? Because you're jumping from lane to lane. Just just like that. The computer, yes. the computer doesn't have to navigate. It, it does still have to navigate. But they, 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 well, they, they even, in episode 9, they specifically say you can do it, but you shouldn't do it because it's very dangerous to do. Mm. So the most reckless man that the galaxy Han Solo wouldn't do it, but these new punks can, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Well... The, the most reckless man in the galaxy also, at one point in his uh, his self-named movie, he's like, yeah, I, I learned this trick from a friend of mine who uh, died doing this trick. Great. Well, I also thought it was kind of funny that, you know, that's how they escaped the planet as soon as they're out in space. You know, they're trying to punch in and get into hyperspace. But then when they get away from the Death Star... He doesn't sit and punch in things to go to hyperspace. He starts arming all their guns so that they can have a battle. Because the Navic computer is already pre-programmed. Well, what? why did it take so long? It didn't take that long when they first Well, time. either he pre-programmed it or else if he didn't pre-program it, then he was having Chewie program it while he was arming the guns. They were, they were close enough to the hyperspace Or maybe line. he wanted to have a nice space battle. Which well, that is also possible yeah. given that it's Han Solo. Well, I mean that I'm talking about George Lucas. Well, that uh, is also possible too. Put that in the movie, but you know the um, you know it's all like World War Two, you know fighter planes battling each other, and even today with just jet fighters. I mean they don't have dog fights like that. I mean well, like in, a dog fight, they shoot another plane down. It's a mile away with a missile. Well, like your World so, War One. The, the dudes, they didn't even have guns on their planes. They would throw rocks and bricks and wrenches at one another. Well, that was and, the beginning. But and, then then, they started, and then they started taking pistols, and they would shoot pistols at each other. And then they started taking rifles. And then, eventually, they're like, hey, we should start putting guns on the planes. And then they had to figure out, they invented a gun that would shoot between the propeller blades. So they didn't blow their own propeller off. And that was when they started having real dogfights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm just saying that even today, even 1977, you know, air-to-air combat wasn't like they show in, in Star Wars with this close at hand, you know, laser things right, just they're, they're in, in eye contact with each other. I mean, today, even, that they barely even see the enemy they're trying to shoot down. It's just on radar well, and they fire a like missile. Iron Man, you know, like in the first Iron Man movie, okay, he goes and attacks a village or whatever or saves a village from attack or whatever and big all, difference and all mm. well so whatever so he goes <laughs> whatever so anyway he goes and like all of a sudden the you see the US Air Force and they call the base and they're like yeah we got 50 planes that got this one target on our screen and then they start all shooting at him and none of them can hit him and Iron Man calls his friend in the Air Force and goes, "Stop attacking me! It's me." Hmm. Well, I guess I think it was another one of those, just like you know, the Jawa, you know, being like junk merchants. It's one of those throwback things to make it appealing. I mean, if it was a high tech computer battle where they didn't even see each other and just fought, no one would want to watch that. So it's way more cool when you're sitting there with these. These space fighters chasing each other right on it's each like other's tails. They were they were just playing asteroids. Yeah. Except so the asteroids were, you know, manned. So I guess Django is the only one that's allowed to carry missiles. Hmm. What do you mean? So I'm trying to remember. It's, I think it's the only time in Star Wars we see someone firing, like, a, you know, heat-seeking style missile at somebody. A heat-seeking missile, but there are other... Well, a actually... Radar guy, they're any that's, kind. That's what? not entirely true, because that whole opening battle in Revenge of the Sith... There's mm, missiles flying true, all yeah. over in that battle. There, there's the same that, yeah. There's, there's missiles flying all over the place in that. the missiles are, are obsolete for some mm. reason. So, let's but see. We all know Django's coolest weapon was his seismic charges where the explosion happens and then you hear it. Pretty dope. Alright, we kind of glossed over the part 
or they rescue Princess Leia. So but we, we haven't gotten there yet. Well, we no, so, no, well, that actually brings out another question. In the last battle, like they're they're able to tractor beam Han's ship. So why not in the last battle they just tractor beam all the other ships? That would that would have ended it real quickly. They they didn't think about that. Yeah, don't ask. <laughs> just don't ask. Or why didn't they just blow that planet out of the way instead of having to orbit I, around and wait I to get to... I explained that, because then they would have had to recharge the laser, and that would have taken yeah. a long time. And it's expensive to fire that laser, you know? Like, it well, costs I mean, the taxpayers a lot of money. To... Well, it costs taxpayer money, and, you know, they also they had to harvest those crystals from the planet where lightsaber crystals come sure, from, yeah, and so... Not, not a lot of those crystals available. Like, yeah. You choose their okay. shots carefully. Yeah. Okay, I'll buy that one. And, uh, well, actually, Starkiller Base in Force Awakens was actually built out of the lightsaber crystal planet. Makes sense. I was just about to say it makes sense that it wouldn't be, because maybe they used magma this time, but okay. Mm. I guess it's all kyber crystals. Yeah, it's all kyber crystals, because they actually, they specifically... Star Wars kryptonite. Because Ilum, because Starkiller Base was built out of Ilum, which is the kyber crystal planet. But, uh, no, that's a good point the... The rescue. So it's a good point too. It's amazing that nobody gets lost in the Death Star because they spend well, a lot of time running through the hallway. You know that's always, that's why they have the mouse somehow, droids. The mouse droids are specifically to keep people from getting lost in the Death Star. Yeah, but what about the the, the people invading the Death Star? Oh, the good guys. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, they they yeah. remember R two like basically gave them a map and said, "Okay, she's right there. Go and get her." And they just memorized all the hallways. How many? Tens of thousands of hallways the thing would have had at the size that it was. I mean, it's just so... It's only about the size of the moon. Only about the size of the moon, okay. Try navigating New York on your own. See how that goes. Yeah, well, the last time you went to New York... It's three-dimensional. Well, the last time you went to New York, you got lost looking for the Statue of Liberty. Exactly. Let's just throw you in the middle of the Death Star and see if you can find your way around. I'll just find a mouse droid and I'll be fine. I went to New York when I was in college, and I knew what... You even had a map, and you still got lost. Well, I knew what streets the Empire State Building was on, so we worked our way over to it, and we were looking around, and I was like, well, where is it? And finally, I craned my head all the way straight up and said, oh, it's up there. <laughs> so there you go. So, um, but anyway. Uh, um, well, I mean, first of all, you know, I've told Trent before, it would be completely impossible... What kind of manufacturing equipment could build the components of the Death Star, and what kind of where would all this material even come from? I mean, you said you could hollow out a planet, but you well, couldn't there's, build. There's thousands and thousands of planets that they could mine materials from. <laughs> they use the whole planet. It's the size of a moon. I mean, they, they don't seem to care. So don't yeah. ask. It's just cool. <laughs> yeah. So the other question I was I keep thinking I was like there's a lot of like heavily armed people marching around this thing that is presumably would have nobody you know hostile on it yeah right? like, but it looks be, cool yeah you know they're they're doing drills they're doing in case someone actually somehow breaches the Death Star do you do you remember in that scene with Obi Wan Kenobi when he turns off the tractor beam mm-hmm. The one guy goes, so what do you think's going on? And the other one's like, I don't know, maybe it's another drill. Yeah. yeah. For something that size, you have to wonder, like, I mean, it's pretty amazing they keep control of just that place. Like, you have to imagine, like, parts of it may one day just kind of start decaying into anarchy, you know, and just end up like Coruscant, where you got, yeah, you don't want to go to that section of the Death Star. Yeah, pretty weird people over there. Pretty wild, even think of something like that. Steve from accounting stages a revolution. <laughs> they could. I mean, that's probably why there are so heavily armed people walking around. Like they, they probably don't even know who's on the Death Star. They probably don't. It's impossible to keep track. Hmm. They could escape for days and just be at large, you know. But they keep careful track. As soon as Princess Leia gets out, the entire station knows it. Yeah, it's also interesting. Yeah, like when when they're uh, the hallways are empty or the hallways are crawling with people. It's hmm. not a lot of in between. So, what did you guys think about the character Princess Leia and the way she comes across in this first movie? It's actually weird hearing her now after hearing her talking in the later movies because her voice is so much lighter and younger and wispier. Yeah. She had the cigarette smoke voice at the end there. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, well, 
I, I guess, you know, the one thing that some people said was that, you know, she seemed kind of ungrateful and kind well, of snotty, you know. She, she was, and also another thing that I always thought was kind of interesting, everyone always makes the big deal about that Luke kissed her before he found out she was his sister. Well, nobody ever talks about the fact that in this movie, before that happened, she kissed him twice, and they never acknowledged that in any of these arguments about, well, Luke kissed his sister. Well, nobody ever says, well, Leia kissed her brother twice and no one said a word about it. And their their dad on board can't force sense that his children are there either. Yeah, yeah. that that that's the other thing. That's actually, I, I did just he, watch He was in the same room with his daughter and didn't know that it was his daughter. The the RL Knots recently actually did like this thing where they, they took scenes and overdubbed it to try to actually make some of the scenes more sensible. I mean, there's one monologue where Darth Vader's like, I knew, like, from the moment Leia was there, there's like, wait, that's my daughter. I've been lied to, you know? Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and that's another thing. At some point in one of the movies, you know, he alludes to um, that Luke's not the only one, and mm-hmm. so it's like Leia's, but then doesn't really do anything with that. Nothing ever materialized with that. That's true. It was like... You thought, well, that but she- then in one of the sequel movies, I forget which one, but you actually see Leia use the Force, and like they at one point briefly allude to the fact that she owns a lightsaber. Well, I'm so fine. There's that part like at the end where they're trying to find him in Cloud City. Yeah, and she kind of and closes her eyes. Is like, oh wait, well, I know where he is. Like, but that you get that could be the Force, but that could also just be because they're twins, and yeah, there's well, the whole thing with they call it twin telepathy or whatever. Same idea, I suppose. Yeah. That so well, that could have been the Force, or that could have just been twin telepathy. Hmm. I mean, get, gets it all mixed up nowadays. So. Because you know, the like they movie, say, because like you know, they say the twin that twins when one of them gets hurt, the other one knows they're in pain or something, and so like, was was it the force or was it just because they have a connection because they're twins? Who knows? Star Wars universe is hard to keep up, but yeah. So they 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 rescue our ungrateful princess and take her. Do the <laughs> into the garbage shoot fly away. I do, I do think the one scene though the, uh, the how it should have ended. I think it is for which part because you know it's just, like they get off and she's like, well, obviously they let us go and you know we're probably being tracked and so they get there and Han's <laughs> like, not this ship, sister. But uh, when the, the how it should have ended, they get there like the rebel commander's like stamping around the base like, well, guys, you know we have to do this suicide mission against the Death Star because Leia knowingly led the Imperial people here. Mm-hmm. She knew she was being tracked, so we have to come up with this really awful plan. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess yeah. he's got a point. Yeah, it's, if, if she knows she's being tracked, why don't you just say, maybe guys, we need to uh, split up, gang. Maybe or, we need to, you know, not go to the rebel base, because yeah. that's how they're going to find us. Movie would be too long, then. I just tell you, I just don't remember anybody asking any of those kind of questions back then. You just were so enthralled with the whole thing that... I mean, it was definitely a game-changer movie as far as how people viewed science fiction and it just changed everything. There were other movies then that tried to use the same formula that didn't succeed because they were, like, cheap copies, but... Yeah, definitely definitely owe a lot to it, for sure. Mm -hmm. See if they can keep it, how they keep it going. Well... Kathleen Kennedy's not doing such a... Well, I told you that there's going to be Star Wars things that will be created that we will probably never live to see that our kids and grandkids will experience that they make long after we no longer exist. It's kind of a scary thought. But it's true. Um, yeah, so they, they take on the... They lead the people back, which that was... That's actually one thing watching the... Uh, reading that book was thought You learn about all the map paintings they did, like... I remember one part like the when they're inside the garage the, the map mm-hmm. paintings they did is like a lot of like ship in the foreground I think is real but then a lot of stuff in the background is not mm-hmm. well, like, how they managed to they also but like the, the scene like some of those same scenes that you're talking about they filmed a lot of that there's a hotel in Africa I think it's in Tunisia that they uh the whole thing is actually like that house and they actually filmed it at that Hotel mm-hmm. where it's like it's literally carved out of the ground, 
as mm. something, but we should do up to one or two. What are those guys doing standing in those uh, little pod things? Especially the guy with the spear. I guess he's stabbing the birds from well, I, attacking the relatives. I don't. I don't know what the theory was with the spear, but I told you that I'm sure it was a spear early, earlier. He has a radar or a gun, vibro blade, whatever. Well, earlier, he's got a radar gun. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Maybe you know, it's just they're tagging them on the way in. Like, mm. They're they're checking to make sure if they're a rebel ship before they let them land. Right, Imperials don't do such a good job of it, so we gotta protect Guatemala. I suppose. So then they, they launch their their very uh, high casualty mission against the Death Star. Um, they they have what three four survivors I think. Counting Han Solo was three, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so they only they, two they, of the original. They they 30. started with like thirty, 30 and they they. Had Two guys left of their it does, pilots. It does sort of sap out the, the thing in the beginning where the, the Imperial General Center was like, the Rebels are a lot more powerful than we realize. Like, I mean, mm, well, it, kind of the, at the not. same time. Well, of course, they didn't use their bigger ships and weapons because well, they, it was, they would, they'd be overwhelmed. But, you so know, it, it also a, it has to do with, um, like in that mm, Studio Seaton video with the Rebels mm, and their um, life insurance and... Mm, and they're like, your odds of surviving this attack are approximately 7,019 to 1. And he goes, that's like navigating an asteroid field. That's slightly better than navigating an asteroid field. Because they say that the odds of navigating an asteroid field are 7,020 to 1. Great. Thanks, 3PO. Oh, makes me feel good. Never tell me the odds. He's like, well. We had a protocol droid run a risk assessment for us. 3PO, what were the numbers? Well, once again, that whole idea was if still would appeal to people, particularly back at that time, of, you know, kind of a David and Goliath thing and, like, you know, this ultimate technological weapon being undone by these little... But at the same flies, time, you know. like I said, when we were watching the movie, you also, you kind of have to think about from a movie perspective yeah they're the heroes that are trying to overthrow the corrupt establishment but from a military standpoint these are terrorists that just carried out a successful act of terrorism that killed 300,000 people the Death Star Memorial Day yeah. yeah you guys remember where you were when the Death Star exploded uh, the, dad you made the point too the, the, the actual attack is, is a little odd because it seems they're the, their squadron training is to just fly straight, even if someone's behind you, no matter what. Just, just keep going. Just, so you can just wiggle around a little bit. Hopefully it'll, it'll shake them off a bit. Yeah. Well, also, you know, they had, what, three Y-Wings, and they didn't protect any of them. They all got blown up. Well, the, and the Y, I was thinking, too, like, does the Y-Wing actually has the cannon that can shoot backwards, right? Is yes. The spinning one? Yes, they it does. They don't use it very effectively. <laughs> they don't use it at all, I don't think. So the the Y-Wing's supposed to be like the more heavily armed one. Yeah. And I don't should think... have actually been covering the tail. And they weren't. They were the ones making bomb runs until they all got blown up. I mean, that, well, then, yeah, then the X-Wing should have been covering their tail. Exactly, and they weren't. I didn't think this through very well. Because there really like, there weren't even that many TIE fighters. They, there were like maybe pretty, ten. It's pretty evenly matched. They, like, they, they also said, um... Well, the thing that I still think is interesting, the X-Wing, in some of the, like, stuff I've read, they said the X-Wing was originally designed for the Empire, and the entire design team of the X-Wing defected to the Rebellion and took the designs with them and took all the prototypes with them, and that's how the Rebels got X-Wings. That's not how they say it in Episode Eight. but... Hmm. That I don't know, the more I think about it, the TIE Fighters are pretty cool. I mean, like, they bring out that point in, like, I guess it's episode 7. They're really fast. Mm -hmm. They sound scary. Why Why do you think that they were... really they're... annoying if you were in the TIE Fighter having to listen to that all day. But, but why you know, do you think just... that, you know, the First Order was, like, you know, after the Empire was destroyed, why do you think the First Order was like, hey, that ship design worked really well. We should copy that for our military. Of course, the funny thing you see in the... In the consecutive Star Wars movie, you know, the... Because you have your typical square tie fighter, right? And then, right. you know, Darth Vader comes in or with his more angular one. And now, like, the newer movies, they keep, like, making it more and more angular and more and more pointier until now, like... Now it almost resembles, like, a Jedi Starfighter. 
I mean, like the tied dagger that the uh, Kylo Ren flies around that's like just absurdly elongated fins. Well, they also through. had the the tied crawler <laughs> that instead of wings, it had tank treads so they could use it on the ground. Yeah, that seems needful mm. when you have an AT-80. Yeah, everybody needs an elephant to help you. An elephant that's easily tripped. Mm. No. There's a problem with every one of those. It's like in Marvel, they say... Improbable. It's like in... It's like in Marvel when Spider-Man's about to trip him and he goes, Hey guys, you remember that old movie, The Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> there you go. There's the one problem all those ships have. They even bring it up in the movies. They can't look behind them. Like, Well, remember, he he does look behind him and he goes, What? I don't see anything. Because he can't. So there's no rear window. <laughs> well, that, yeah, no that's also, that's also why they all have astromech droids is so the astromech droid... That's behind him can say, "Hey, there's people coming. You should." Yeah, but in a real fighter plane, you have a bubble canopy, so you can just look behind you. These ones that have like more car, but in a real hot rod canopy. Also, in a real airplane, you also have sensors that let you know when people are coming up behind you. Yeah, but there's also just your eyes. They're very helpful in a dogfight. You just want to be able to look look back really quickly. A rear facing camera would be good. Well, that's, that's, why they they have, have little, that's why they have astromechs. They have little windows in the back. They can almost see behind them. Well, that's that's why they have astromechs. The astromechs are supposed to tell them, hey, there's somebody coming up behind you. So why don't TIE fighters need astromechs? Because TIE fighters weren't designed to accommodate astromechs. Hmm. Then why don't the X-Wings need astromechs? Because the X-Wings were designed to have astromechs. Well, then why weren't the TIE fighters designed to have astromechs? Because they were made by a different design team. And makes the, the, the X-Wings more personal and friendly. and Somebody, Even though they were designed for the like, Empire. Looking like flying shields and, you know, sounding like, you know, some kind of raiding horror things. So. I think it's, if I remember, I think it's actually, it's like an elephant. That's the that's where they got the sound from. It almost sounds like some kind of insect. Well, I, uh, I could be wrong, but I think the one thing I've heard is it's like an elephant's like, you know, right. but like stretched out. So that makes has sense. This really hmm. weird, other weirdly feel to it. Yeah, hmm. think about this. Tie Fighter is like the only ship that actually looks like it is designed to be in space. What so do you maybe mean? for a B wing? What do you mean? It's like the X wing looks like an airplane. You know, like it looks like something that could conceivably yeah. fly. But the, like the Millennium Falcon doesn't look like a spaceship. It kind of. But see, the thing about Tie Fighters is, is there's no like you look at that thing and you can't imagine it being on the ground. Like you can imagine an X wing sitting on the well, ground. Well, okay, so right, the Tie Fighter when it lands. You know, that cockpit, that cockpit's probably still, you know, a good 20, 30 feet off the ground. How did they get out? That, exactly. It would only work in a situation where you, like, could dock it somewhere. Yeah, I agree. It's clearly designed to be in things like Death Star. Well, actually, that's that's why they, they have the Star Destroyers. They, um, Star Destroyers actually deploy those. The and, same thing, yeah. So, um, the Star Destroyers, like, you know... So they dock inside the Star Destroyer, and then when they go into battle, the Star Destroyer starts launching them out the... Exactly. So it's, it's a, it's a fighter that's actually designed to be used in space. That's a, hmm. yeah. Except for the It's kind of cool, though, when the wings separate. You know, it definitely has a neat effect. Well, actually, I think... Could be wrong, but I think the concept of the X-Wing also might have come from, at least retrospectively, the, uh, the old... Mm, arc, mm, the old arc trooper mm, gunships that had the six wings that separated, they used the exact same dialogue line, lock as foils in attack position, when those wings separate, that in these movies, when the X-wing wings separate, they say lock as foils in attack position. Gotta have foils, you know. Mm. It's basically all the B-wing is. That was a weird aircraft. But... Yeah, I've never understood the point of the B-Wing. I always thought it was a strange vehicle. But it actually, too, is very much designed to be in space. It's sort of just designed where, like, there is no up or down. You're just you're just there. I mean, the oh. Twilight from the Clone Wars kind of is the same idea as the B-Wing. Yeah. Alright, so where yeah. are we now? So, it's really the end. That's actually what's weird about this movie, I realized. Like, it just sort of does sort of just end. But there's not, like, like, after they blow it up, there's not, like, any, like, you know, they kind of demure afterwards where they kind of plot what they're doing next. It's just like, and they live happily ever after. Well, there's... Well, it was made to be a yeah. self-contained movie, and yeah. you, but they gave you the teaser of Darth Vader not being killed, so that 
they were set up for the next episode. But if it if it was a failure, at least you wouldn't be hung. Like I like a book that I bought that was first of a trilogy, but the other two never got published. Well, so I never well, found out how it all was going to well, work out. I mean, it's kind of like that TV show that I was watching that it ran for three seasons, and in the final episode, you know, they set up. <clears throat> The, the guy they've been telling you for the last two seasons is dead. You find out he's actually alive, but the bad guy's got him prisoner somewhere. And they're like, oh, we're going to resolve all this next season. And then the show got canceled and there was no next season. And that was it. Yep. That is right. It just it does sort of end with them, like, smiling with their awards. And that's Which, you know, Chewbacca's not smiling because he didn't get Ooh, one until 20 years later. Yeah, he got ripped off. You know, I don't even remember thinking about that at the time. But... Yeah, that was pretty sad that he didn't get one. Well, so that's exactly why in Rise of Skywalker, Maz Kanata pulls him aside and hands him a box and he opens it and it's got one of those exact same medals in it. About time. About time. It's also funny to listen to the, the, the R.L. Knotts did one where, like, the, uh, the throne room scene without music. Uh-oh. Because, like, you look in the rally, like, there's no band playing or anything. It's right. Just, so, like... You know, if you actually play it out, it's just like really awkwardly quiet. <laughs> well, well, talking about talking about the band though, that makes me think of what I was saying when we were watching the movie, the My Sizely Cantina band in the Lego Star Wars game. If you turn off music in the sound settings, the Cantina band just all stand on the bandstand, awkwardly glaring at you. That's a good point too. They also have a very very classy professional musicians they can pull into the outer rim and this den of scum and villainy well they uh, they actually like it's not like the well, local they know. are they are like high class musicians and the reason that they were at that cantina was because they originally were on that planet because Jabba the hut had hired them to come to his palace and they told him no that explains it and so they were Why on that planet. Why are they planet. still there? Well, so they were on that planet because Jabba hired them to come to his palace and they said no. And so then they're like, well, we got to find some other gig to make up the lost money from that. And so the guy at the cantina calls him up and he's like, hey, we need a house band. You want to come work for us? So they went all the way there and then said no? I don't know. Don't ask. Seems like Jabba's reputation would have preceded him. Well, one... Other thing <clears throat> I think helps Star Wars is the um, the main theme song. Can we can we talk about the variety yeah, of aliens it. in Mos Eisley though? Sure. Like I mean, so we got the baby bat. We've got Panda Baba. We've got mm, dude with ram horns. We've got the guy with the lobster head. We've got mm, the Elephant that's the spy for the Imperials. Luckily, all almost all of them can breathe air. So, you know, well, how convenient. They can all live in that same. Well, so one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting that I was reading about, not specifically the Moss Eisley Cantina, but one of the other nightclubs that they have in Star Wars, they said they have to be very careful when they're mixing drinks because what's considered a great alcoholic beverage to one species could be considered a deadly poison to another and so he has to be very careful when he's mixing drinks and doesn't give the wrong drink to the wrong person and get sued. Yeah, even just food well, in thanks. general will be an interesting challenge. You really would have to keep all kinds of different rations in stock for whoever yeah. might drop by. Yeah. I look at that as kind of a stunt scene just to, you know, give you this feeling of the, this place of all these, you know, wild different planets and everything that was a fun one to read I think the uh, the musicians made a bigger impression back at that time than you know that didn't carry on to now because there were a lot of things about that that I remember in the early days after Star Wars came out a lot of pictures a lot of things of them that just kind of you know struck a note with people there's Lego sets of them. Yeah, that's one thing they talk about too in the the book was the the you know like picking the music. And, you know, George's like, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be swing music. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, just you know, just imagine you know swing music. You know, well, and then, but everyone has you know the classic song that you hear the Cantina band play. But then a lot of people forget there's like another song that's almost equally as cool that you hear them play later and. 
everyone gets so obsessed over the other song that they don't ever talk about that song. The, the one, the second one's more of like a low key one, you know. It's the one you have a conversation over, so we don't, we don't hear it as, as strongly. But they are they are good musicians though, wherever they are. Figuring Dan and the modal nudes come to play your your birthday parties or what have you, or if you're job of the hut come to play over your uh, your your executions well, job job seems to have his own he's, he's kind of yeah he's he, kind of dominating more like the, well, the he, club uh, music scene well so he uh after the modal notes turned him down then he went and hired size snoodles in the max rebo band oh bro the, the, the kind of musicians you would more likely expect to find at a place like his but um, I guess another scene that stood out to me is the bar scene where, you know, Luke's getting in trouble and um, that certainly established Obi-Wan having, you know, having real clout when he just suddenly swipes the guy's arm off and well, saves Luke. I mean, Obi-Wan, though, um, so, you know... General Grievous collects body part or collects lightsabers. Obi Wan Kenobi collects body parts. No. I mean, you think about it. He cut no, off. I don't think he keeps the arms that he chops. No, off. but no, he cut off Sam. But throughout no. the course of the movies, he cut off both of Anakin's legs, one of Anakin's arms, Ponda Baba's arm, Sam Wessel's arm, General Grievous's hands. Wow. What? Lynn Loss in Star Wars is kind of like cousins making out. It's just kind of an accepted thing. Okay. I don't think I want to go there. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, I heard that actually the part where they just show the severed arm on the floor, that they added that because it was in danger of getting a a G rating instead of a PG rating, and they didn't want that, and so they decided to up the violence slightly. Yeah, there was a little part of that, but they were trying to figure out how to game the rating system the right way. Yeah, uh, interesting. Well, I think that was another thing that the movie um, was essentially family friendly and stuff, and still, even though it had all this science fiction, all this stuff, it it did it in a kind of family friendly way. I think well, that was I, a positive. I saw something talking about the Death Star, and it said. It has been estimated that the Death Star would cost roughly $850 quadrillion and take NASA-level technology approximately 30 million years to construct. Oh, okay. We built two of them. They did, so why not us? Well, they got more people. Now, the, the one, one thing is about that, kind of going back a little bit, The uh, this is one thing the ROI has got to bring up, too, is that, you know, the, the fact that people forgot who Jedi were very, very quickly... Yeah. Well, it's people in their lifetime I mean, who would have known what the, Jedi were. The Jedi purged, all the Jedi were exterminated, yeah. and then you go for 20 years and there's no Jedi. But then like then wouldn't all the people in the bar freak out a little bit if they saw somebody with clearly Jedi weapons well, they and were skills like, show up? Well, like um, you know, they're like well, so then, you know, the scene with Darth Vader, he goes, "Your sad devotion to that ancient religion." Of course, it may less than that guy definitely should have known because he, like, in his lifetime, he would have experienced like the Jedi Republic falling, the whole thing. Like, he would have known who Jedi were—that they were like a very sizable, dominant, powerful force in the galaxy that was wiped out deliberately. It wasn't like it was just some random hokey thing that was just well, going on in the back. I also think it was interesting in that that movie that. You know, people were willing to talk sharply to Darth Vader. Well, yeah. Also, and, can we can we talk for a second about um, Obi Wan Kenobi and the fact that he says, "I don't remember ever owning a droid." When he um, did own at least one, probably I think multiple, and also the other line of his that I thought was clever is when. So his first line in that movie, he says, hello there. And numerous times throughout the prequels, when he runs into people, the first thing he says is, hello there. It's true. It's true. Well, they probably that. when they made those prequels, they, I'm sure, studied hard what they had done with him to try to tie the characters together. 
but they definitely didn't have the early storyline figured out, and so well, that doesn't always work. But I saw something the other day. It had pictures of Obi-Wan from the prequels and Obi-Wan from the original movies and Yoda from the prequels and Yoda from the original movies and then Bail Organa from the prequels and Bail Organa from Rogue One. And it says, being a Jedi must be really stressful because Bail Organa still looks really good for his age. Hmm. Obi-Wan is uh, definitely ages quite rapidly. But I mean, in his defense, though, he's he's been sitting in the sun for 20 years. And true, also, he, uh, you know, he had to deal with watching as a man that he previously thought he had murdered killed the woman he loved in front of him and then he subsequently did finally get to kill him again. Well, so how do we pull all this together? Uh, history has kind of written itself on that one, so... Well, I don't know. So, of the... How many are you considering movies that you're... The nine movies plus what? So there's the nine movies plus the Clone Wars TV show plus the Mandalorian plus Solo plus Rogue One and potentially Star Wars Rebels, but we still haven't decided yet. Okay. So where would you rate this one along all those? Um, I think I put it in about towards the top, but it was, I think, under... I think I had it under Rogue One and Rise of Skywalker. And the Clone Wars TV show. Well, for me, I would say that my favorite is The Empire Strikes Back. I would say this one is a close second or third. What would you rank in the middle of that, then? I'm not sure. I'd have to think a little bit about that. I mean, um, I think it's kind of interesting in the, the sequels that, um, so what would it be, number seven... When we went to see it, I left really happy and thinking, this is so cool. And then there was so much negativity about, well, it's just a copycat. It was just, and I guess I left liking it because it reminded me of the original Star Wars. And, then, and I felt like, well, these they're back on track. They they right. they tied in the original characters, but they set up nice you know, new characters that are really cool that can take it over. And I thought, well, they did a good job. And that was pretty high on my list. And then more, you know, people talking about, well, all they, you know, it was not very original. It was just basically rehash that, I don't know, it kind of dropped on my list a little. Well, but then you also have, like, when we went to see episode eight, Last Jedi in theaters. Okay, I walked out of episode seven, and I'm like, this was great. And I walked out of episode eight, and I'm like, I feel like I just watched a documentary about Star Wars. I don't feel like I was living for two hours in their universe. And then I walked out of episode nine, and I'm like... Okay, now I feel like I've been living in their universe again. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I lost my life in their universe after episode nine. But no, I guess it's it's tricky to rank four too because well, episode eight to me always felt like that I was watching a documentary oh, and yeah. that the people weren't actually mm -hmm. being themselves; they were that playing clear. characters mm -hmm. like Poe Dameron. Like, I get that it's supposed to be Poe Dameron, but it's like Poe Dameron acting as Rebel Pilot number one. It's not Poe Dameron being Poe Dameron. Yeah, you could definitely expect a three-hour slugfest when we discuss this movie, but um, mm -hmm. the, the <laughs> it's, it's tricky to rank A New Hope, though, because the, the uh, like, it, you could definitely tell, like, they're you know, still ideating on ideas, and so, like, it, it's actually funny to look at now, because it's a very comparatively simple film compared to all the others. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a very straight ahead. So, I mean, Empire Strikes Back is probably still, like, one of the best made ones in that regard, like, because by that point they kind of hit their stride and they knew what they were doing. And, you know, obviously I have a soft spot in my heart for Episode Eight, and though most of the movie going public doesn't, so I guess we'll have to discuss that later. Yeah, that'll be interesting. No, um, most of the movie public is divided because about half the movie going public feels like me and about half the movie going public feels like you about it where mm. some of them say it was great and others say it was terrible but you know just this should definitely but the new hub should definitely be at least you know if, if not second a good third you know somewhere up in that, yeah, well, in that I guess that's what I mean, I'm saying that's what I think I, I mean, but it was great I mean after Rogue One and after the Clone Wars TV show I would put it third 
and then other things subsequently. You rate this one over Empire Strikes Back? Yes. Oh no, Empire Strikes Back. I mean, that, like Kenton said, I mean, they hit their stride with that because then you know the, you knew who the characters were, and they could just really be themselves. And I mean, the Darth Vader scenes, especially the one where he comes in and. You think another person's going to die, and he's just so frustrated he just doesn't even do anything. And you just see him stare, and it's just perfect. And the Darth Vader March music is great. But this is a great one, and it's also at least a movie that can still stand by itself, so somebody can watch it and feel that they didn't just get hung in the middle of a nine-part trilogy, well, triple trilogy. Somebody at work the other day who had never had any contact with Star Wars specifically asked me if they should start with this movie or start with the prequels and I told them to start with this movie and they went home and started with the prequels. You didn't listen to. Yeah, they should try to give them the right advice. I'm kind of surprised. I'm surprised uh, they went past episode one if they watched any more. Well, so they actually, they came to work the following day and said I watched episode one and it was great Huh. And I can't wait to watch episode two. Yeah, they're in for some good surprises a little down the road, hopefully. But yeah. I guess that's one thing. If you start with the prequels, it just gets better and better until the very end. Well, they, they but, said uh, that mm, episode one, that they thought it was great. Well, we'll let well, that podcast I mean, speak for itself. As, as, uh, well, Liam Neeson, as I said, when my brother and I were arguing about this the other day, um, he sent me a link to an article where Ewan McGregor said he still can't believe that people enjoy the prequel movies and I sent him back something that I had seen where Liam Neeson said I like the film, I'm proud of it and proud to have been a part of it, I got to be a Jedi I got to play with those wonderful lightsabers and stuff, it was terrific, it really was well I'm sure it was for him <laughs> I don't know even though they you know, did have to rebuild all the sets to make them tall enough for him to fit through doors well, well, Mom and I's advice to you guys on these is to, to get to the point. So, what's the last word? Thank you for coming all the way down here for, not explicitly for this, obviously, but for, oh. for being there and introducing it all to us in the first place. So mm-hmm. Still still remember the good old days when Blockbuster existed and, you know, yep. raced down there to see if they had VHS tapes of The Empire Strikes Back to... Yeah, and then Netflix came along, and then Disney uh, Plus came along. Things have sure changed from those days, but they were fun, and it was fun being a high school kid in 1977 and seeing Star Wars for the very first time. So, well, I, it was fun for me. Thanks for letting me be part of this one, and uh, keep it going.